Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington. Today our topic is postpartum depression. Mary Catherine Carmichael could not be with us today, but I have two guests on the program. Georgian Catalona is of the Bloomington Area Birth Services, and Donna Cutshaw is here. She's a registered nurse at Bloomington Hospital. And both of them are on the Postpartum Depression Task Force of Monroe County. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 from outside of the local calling area, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Georgian, Donna, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank, Thank thanks you. for being here today. This is a, a serious issue, a serious topic, and, and one that uh, I think there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding about. A lot of people don't, uh, don't understand what postpartum depression is. How about a, a definition Um, To begin with, really, you want to define depression. And depression is a mood disorder that causes a person to be um, in such a state that they really can't carry on daily activities. And it usually lasts more than a couple of weeks. Um, Many people suffer, you know, that sort of depression for maybe even just a few days, which really isn't um, classified as depression. But if it lasts longer than two weeks, that's when we would classify it as depression. Postpartum depression, however, is a term that is used but really isn't all that accurate because really it's um, – the the problem postpartum is more is more global. There's lots of more uh, – there are a lot of other um, disorders involved. And so a new term has kind of come to the forefront and it's called perinatal, perinatal mood disorders. And that encompasses several different disorders including depression and anxiety in pregnancy postpartum depression, postpartum panic disorder, postpartum obsessive compulsive disorder, postpartum post-traumatic stress disorder, and postpartum psychosis. So although depression is what's um, commonly referred to, there are a lot of disorders that encompass the postpartum period. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask before we get too far along about the, the uh, postpartum depression task force of Monroe County, which it sounds like might be a little misnamed yes, now. Right. Might want to rename it. <laughs> but what, what about the task force? What, why did you Why did you form, and, and what What are your uh, roles and, and responsibilities and goals? Well, it really came out of a luncheon meeting that we had. Let's see, was it a year ago, February, I think, where um, it was an A one meeting, which is Association of. Help me with that, Donna. What is it? <laughs> Women's obstetrical and neonatal nurses. Okay, right. So we were um, – uh, they have uh, educational luncheons, and I happened to be at that meeting, and it was going to be for um, postpartum depression. And we had been expecting Bertie Gunyan-Meyer from Methodist Hospital to come down. And she um, had a reason she couldn't make it, and she sent instead the two women who were survivors of postpartum mood disorders to come and speak in her stead. And it was very, very powerful. And everyone in the room had this – instant recognition of we know these women, we see these women in our practices, we feel like we're not always sure where to send them. What if we all got together and tried to do something for our community? And the beautiful thing about Bloomington is that it's the kind of community where you can make a difference without, well, I wouldn't say we haven't been making huge efforts because we've been very busy, but it's still, it's a little easier, I think, in a, in a community our size and because we're all have been so focused on the goals. Mm-hmm. that we've set for ourselves. So the task force is made up of representatives from doctor's offices, um, the hospital, community organizations, um, and so on. And then we've got a um, sort of a steering committee, planning committee, that's Kathy Green and Claire Boisevin, Crook, Donna Cutshall is sitting here with me, Liz McDaniel and myself, and Dana Waters of Bloomington Hospital. And mm-hmm. so that, we set a goal of education, and defining that real broadly, um, raising awareness in the community, and also of um, providing support group opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I can say more about sort of the specifics of how that's broken down, but we're most excited that we have a conference coming up in August. Okay. So we're All very right. happy about that. We'll talk more about that yeah, later, too. Sure. Yeah. Um, I want to sort of frame the discussion by, mm-hmm. by asking, you know, how prevalent is this issue? Mm-hmm. Uh, Donna, you mentioned, you know, several disorders mm-hmm. that are, are related to uh, women who are pregnant or just shortly after they mm-hmm. have they give birth. Um, you know, how many women are have uh, an issue with one of these disorders that you talked about? Um, there are some varying statistics out there, but pretty much everyone is on the same page about um, baby blues that 
80 to 90 percent, at least 70 percent, you know, all the literature agrees with, will experience some degree of postpartum blues in the first two weeks after delivery. And that's very normal and very expected. Um, Is there any reason why? I mean, why? I think most of it is a hormonal fluctuation, but then you've also got um, fatigue. Um, you have this extra added responsibility of taking care of a new baby, you know, getting to know this new baby, learning your new role. There's just a lot going on that first couple of weeks. And along with those hormone, hormonal fluctuations, I think it's just overwhelming to most, most women. Um, as far as postpartum depression, the statistics can range anywhere from 10% up to 40%. I think the the most most people agree that 10 to 15% of women will dis, will experience some degree of postpartum depression. Um, and that breaks down into different um, percentages with the other disorders. With postpartum psychosis, I know, you know, people talk about that a lot being about one um, to two percent. And in a, a city the size of Bloomington, that means two to four women each year experiencing psychosis in Bloomington or the surrounding counties, people that deliver here. And to me, you know, that's pretty significant, even though it's a small percentage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, I have a phone call I want to get to here in a second, but postpartum psychosis, would that be what Andrea Yates was suffering with? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no and, question. And I think if people are familiar mm-hmm. with that case, I mean, she killed five Children, mm-hmm, I that believe right? that's right. Yeah, yeah. So that's just that's one one to two percent of people. Who it's a very rare event. Yeah. I mean, really, and the um, it's it's hard because that's what people think about as the spectacular event, or the baby blues, and the and it's sad because the majority of women who are having this problem are actually falling in between that those extremes. Mm-hmm. And it's estimated that at least half of those women do not seek help, so they suffer through it mm-hmm. over a period of maybe even up to a couple years without help. And so if they had gotten help, they would have, you know, had a much, much nicer time that postpartum period. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go to the phones. And Jim, Jim. Hi, uh, I'm calling from Terre Haute. I've got a theory on this. And I think that the theory applies both to people who are postpartum depressed, as well as people who've had operations, that uh, the fight or flight syndrome, which your body naturally has, uh, causes your adrenals to overproduce cortisol, causing an overproduction of uh, overabundance of cortisol in the hypothalamus, causing it to shrink and thereby causing the depression. That if after, uh, right before having a baby or right before an operation and then a short time thereafter, you prescribe something such as ginseng or any other kind of uh, product that would help balance out the adrenals production of the fight or flight chemical cortisol, that you would help reduce this amount of of, uh, depression. Mm -hmm. Jim, how did you arrive at this uh, theory? Well, I'm, I'm not a doctor or a medical person. I had a friend that was going through postpartum depression about a year ago, and I started researching it on my own. Uh-huh. And this is uh, the theory that I came up with. And not being in the medical profession, I really have no one else to tell this to. Sure. But these, these ladies may be able to research this and see if there's some truth to my theory. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, Jim. All right. Phone numbers, 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. Any reaction to Jim's theory? Um, I think that there are a lot of ways to look at this and that it is important to be holistic in your approach and to have a team approach. I think it's important to, um, you know, what he's saying about it being a very much a, a chemical process in the body, I think is really true. And that is why a lot of women do um, find medication really effective in helping them. It's it would be important if someone wanted to pursue complementary or, or alternative medicine or herbals in working with this to really consult with a variety of people to get the best information because the interaction between something like ginseng and if they should be put on medication would be important to think about. Um, and uh, it's – I mean, it's it's a – I don't think there's anything wrong in going that direction. It's just kind of how do you then put that into practice and how do you decide kind of how do you work that out? It's, mm-hmm. it's always a bit tricky. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the issue of medication mm-hmm. is one that obviously became sort of uh, mm-hmm. um, apparent in popular culture when, when two uh, stars, Tom Cruise right. and Brooke Shields, mm-hmm. sort of battled over that because Brooke Shields uh, says – I mean she suffered from – Postpartum depression, I believe, is what was diagnosed 
for her. Mm-hmm. And she was on Paxil, the antidepressant Paxil. And mm-hmm. Tom Cruise came out very publicly and said that, you know, he didn't think she needed that medication. And mm-hmm. he was recommending other courses of treatment. Uh, your reaction to Tom Cruise? <laughs> My reaction first is he's never had a baby and he must never have suffered from any kind of mental um, disturbance, you know, be it depression or obsessive compulsive disorder or or whatever it may have been. Um, Brooke Shields, as far as I know, I think suffered from some obsessive compulsive behavior and Mm -hmm. had some repetitive thoughts and was constantly thinking about bad things happening to her baby or visualizing either herself or someone else throwing her baby against a wall or something similar to that is, is my recollection. And it was just, you know, it was very disturbing and driving her, you know, to the end of her rope. And she needed she needed to reach out for help. And I think somebody who's not been in that situation, you know, can't really speak to that and mm-hmm. make a comment like that. I think that was a very unfair comment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Donna. Georgiana, any? Well, I just would, I guess, would add that um, his comment also suggests what I think a lot of people uh, mistakenly think about these mood disorders is that the woman has a little bit of control or maybe a lot of control over what's happening. You know, just suck it up, get over it. You've got a baby now or you should be so happy. And, you know, this really is something that the women that are experiencing this don't have control over. And I... I mean, I'm certainly not someone who advocates using pharmaceuticals um, every day casually, but certainly in that situation, it seems really appropriate. Mm-hmm. I think as we started this conversation, yeah. like Donna talked about you know, mm-hmm. depression, and, and it's a form of depression. And, yes. and I think what both of you have said, there's a lot of misunderstanding mm-hmm. about depression as an illness. I think you said suck it up or yes, right. just get over it, yeah. you know, just, you know. Just. Women get told, you know, you should just go exercise more. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, that's great. But if you've got three little kids at home, when exactly are you going to find the time to do that? I mean, it might right. be beneficial, but it's not necessarily going to go very far. Mm-hmm. So what are the, uh, what are some of the factors that may contribute to this? Uh, Donna, you mentioned before um, maybe uh, fatigue. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of the factors that may contribute to a woman finding herself in this position? Um, definitely a family history of depression, you know, may raise your awareness to to think maybe I should, you know, watch out for this. But most women, in fact, who do suffer from postpartum depression or perinatal mood disorder do not really have a history. Um, the biggest factors are a stressor of some kind in the recent months or even a couple of years before her delivery, like a death in the family, or, um, you know, more recently moving or changing jobs, financial difficulties, you know, difficulty with her relationship with her um, significant other. And then, you know, at the birth process, if something happens during the birth process that she wasn't really expecting or really wanting to happen, if there's a traumatic experience, um, that can trigger something. Um, fatigue definitely is a big thing. And that's we, we try to teach all of our postpartum moms that that first two weeks, you know, your biggest job is to feed the baby and sleep. And you let everyone else do all the other work. And that is the biggest favor you can do for you and your family and your baby. Because getting a lot of rest that first two weeks really sets you up for a good postpartum experience. Not doesn't guarantee it, but it does help. Um, let's see. Can you think of any other stress? Or um, did you mention um, having unexpected outcomes with the birth, either a disappointment or actually having something happen to the baby, or um, just the birth itself being traumatic? Right, can be a factor as well. What about the uh, the expectation that a new mom might have on just being the you know the super mom, the the the, the yeah. perfect mother, and, mm-hmm. and that any little thing that happens if the baby is mm-hmm. crying um, and she can't get it yeah. to stop or that is that is so real. The myth of the motherhood in the media is just a big issue because you see these beautiful women who are back in their jeans the day after they get out of the hospital, yeah. carrying around these perfect little babies. They're always smiling. They have their makeup beautiful. They're they've got lots of energy, and you know life is as normal. You know, yeah. and in reality, moms are home alone most of the time. Some of them with other toddlers at home, um, home all day alone, barely having time to get a shower. If they have time to get a shower, you know, their whole time is consumed by taking care of, a, of the newborn. And it's not 
you know, all the glitz and glamour that we see in the media every day. Mm-hmm. You, know, you might have some good days, but, you know, every day is not like that. Yeah. You know, when we um, teach our childbirth education classes, we talk a lot about postpartum adjustment. And one of the things that I'm struck by always is how culturally it's hard for us to kind of acknowledge how much having a baby is a life change. And that when you have a life change, grief is a normal part of that. You're going to grieve for your lost life. That doesn't mean that you're spiraling down into postpartum mood disorders, but rather that you're just adjusting to what's happening. And sleep deprivation is a an expected part when the adult thinks about sleep being from, you know, 11 p.m. at night to 8 in the morning or 7 in the morning or whatever. Well, babies come out. That's when they're most wakeful. That's They don't come out programmed to be on our schedules. They're on their own, right? So um, I think um, just that sort of sea change of, of uh, in life when you have a baby sets you up for so much and that not having good support or awareness of what that change is going to be like. Mm-hmm. All right, 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. Georgiana, as you were saying, you talk about that a lot in your classes Mm -hmm. before, you know, a woman has a baby. Um, how, How effective are you in actually getting through? Well, I think that what people respond to best is a practical plan. I think when we just talk about it globally, it's like, well, gee, that's a nice – those words are nice, but what do you really mean? And when Donna's talking about that first two weeks after the baby comes, we really focus on that as a key time for doing exactly what she said. The mom's job is to take care of the baby, to feed the baby. To, um, and to rest, to sleep when the baby sleeps. And what we tell people is, you know what you really need to do is you need to make sure that for two weeks, we tell you what we wish for you is two weeks of not cleaning your house and not cooking any meals. And other people need to come do that. And don't just rely on your partner to do it. And that, I think, helps as well. But then also you've got people coming around so that if things are not going well, there's other people who can say, gosh, you know, can we get you some extra help? Mm-hmm. Looks like you could benefit from. How's it going? Yeah. You know, just those things, because we tend to isolate, I think, after we have our babies. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I'm in a position where, A, I'm a man, so I mm-hmm. don't have – I can't have this postpartum <laughs> depression. But also, uh, my daughter is a stepdaughter, and I was not on the scene until she was 12. So, right. you know, 12 to the last 13 years, mm-hmm. you know, it's been uh, my parenting relationship. So, uh, you know, if, if you're – we're talking to um, – significant others, husbands, mm-hmm. spouses, partners in, in this, what would be your uh, advice to them in terms of you know, what are the symptoms they should look for to um, try to determine if this is typical baby blues or something that might be a little bit more serious and really requires mm-hmm. help? You know, that's a really great question. And often is the partner, the one who knows her better than anybody else, who is um, going to recognize what's going on. It is hard for women to ask for help, but the partner often is the one who comes back. And I think among the things to look for are um, in that at the end of that two weeks is coming out of it. And in that two weeks, she should be spiraling through. She should. We expect her to have bouts of crying. We also, though, are looking for periods of time when she feels pretty good, when she's cooing at her baby and looks happy, right? And she's like, okay, things are all right. And that those, that should be, uh, there should be a bit of an emotional roller coaster. If she really is, though, stuck in one mode or the other, then that's kind of a red flag and something to pay attention to. So that's one of the first things I think I would I would say. You know, when yeah. you say one, stuck in one mode or the other, you mean if she's too happy? You can see women be manic, mm-hmm. actually, yeah. and um, and be in complete like everything's fine. I'm so mm-hmm. on top of this. I'm you know and running around and starting new jobs and doing things, and you're like, whoa, <laughs> what? what yeah, stop. <laughs> Typically, know? she's not sleeping. Uh-huh. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a big tip off is if she stops eating. Mm-hmm. That's actually a bit of a concern um, and unable to eat, unable to sleep, can't close her eyes even when the baby is soundly and happily asleep. Mm-hmm. And because there are, like I said, so many different disorders that go along with this, um, there there will be some different yes, different absolutely. symptoms that you see. But like Georgian said... Um, the symptoms should not last more than two weeks, and if they do, you know, even you may have a mild case that can benefit from yes. a little talk therapy or group therapy or whatever mm-hmm. and help you um, overcome that quicker. Um, but if if the mom 
has severe symptoms even within that first two weeks, she shouldn't think, oh, this is the baby blues because it's only four days. It's only been four days. Mm -hmm. Severe symptoms are severe symptoms regardless of when they occur. Um, But like with postpartum depression, you can have over or under eating, either one, over or under sleeping. So she may be sleeping all the time or never be able to sleep at all. Um, she may be reaching out for help, constantly calling friends saying, are you sure this is normal? Is this really okay? I mean, some of that is very normal. We all yes. do that as new mothers. Um, but if it's constant needing reassurance or if she's hiding from everybody, doesn't want to see anybody, mm-hmm. um, doesn't want to go out with friends at all, um, if she's just totally overwhelmed all the time or if she ever, ever mentions um, suicide or you know, anything that would be harmful to herself or others. Mm-hmm. That is a definite red flag for for that significant other to, to get help right away. Mm-hmm. You know, and she might actually um, show more signs of anxiety than what we popularly think of as depression. And that's that's very mm-hmm. characteristic of this postpartum mood disorders. Now, postpartum panic or anxiety disorder is about 4 to 5% of new mothers is less, much less common, but those women will have, they'll say they're experiencing anxiety attacks, you know, like the shortness of Mm -hmm. breath, chest pain, and that sort of thing. She may take herself to the emergency room saying, I feel like something's really wrong. And they check her out and no, nothing's wrong really in physically, but there's something else going on. So that's something to look for as well. Okay. We want to go back to the phones. Uh, Jim from Terre Haute is back. Jim. Yeah, I just wanted to make a follow-up suggestion. Is that I wasn't really suggesting that you use uh, natural, uh, you know, like vitamins and things uh, by themselves. I was suggesting that someone monitor the cortisol levels that's produced naturally by the human body, by the adrenal glands, and that they could use even a prescription drug to help balance that out. And, and, and rather than such as an SSRI, uh, such as Prozac and that sort of stuff, trying to treat it in the brain, it, to me, is the wrong position to treat it. Instead, mm-hmm. treat the adrenal so it's not causing the depression in the first place. Okay. All right. Thanks for that clarification. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Jim. All right. We've hit break time. So eight five five zero eight one one is our local phone number. 877-285-9348 is the number from outside of the Bloomington calling area. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. We're talking about postpartum depression today. Uh, You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, Using a variety of systems with no major renovations, Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. WFIU is the media sponsor for the IU Art Museum's Jazz in July series. This evening... David Brent Johnson hosts the ensemble Quijibo performing originals and jazz fusion classics on the IU Art Museum's terrace beginning at 6.30. More about this and many other events on our website at wfiu.indiana.edu. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times. I have two guests today. Georgian Catalona is uh, from Bloomington Area Birth Services, and Donna Cutshaw is a registered nurse at Bloomington Hospital. Both are on the Postpartum Depression Task Force of Monroe County, and we're talking about postpartum issues or perinatal mood disorder issues uh, in, a, in a more broader sense. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. I went to the break uh, fairly quickly, and I think there may be some other symptoms that we didn't really talk about. Um, Donna? Um, One of the things I want to mention is not bonding with the baby. Some women will have um, a fear of really bonding with the baby, and she may not even know what her fears involve. She may be fearful that something's going to happen to the baby, so she doesn't want to be bonded with the baby. She may be fearful that she might hurt the baby. 
Um, there's lots of different reasons why she may not be bonding with the baby. But if you have a new mom who really doesn't want to have a lot to do with her new baby, that is a big red flag. And um, that's something to definitely call her physician about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we hit most of the other other ones, being overwhelmed and maybe having some poor coping skills. Mm-hmm. Um, just being not herself, mm-hmm. you know, people, people who know her can look at her and say she is just not herself and yeah. she's not coming out of it. And you actually asked when you um, asked about what the partner can do, mm-hmm. that made me think about something that to take us back to the Andrea Yates situation, because mm-hmm. the her husband was kind of an absent figure in a lot of the media. And uh, I think it's important to remember that um, postpartum is a huge stressor on dads as well, on partners and and the family in general. And that, especially if they're financial stresses, which what new family doesn't feel like they have financial stresses, but especially for um, dads and really for our society in a way, we need these mamas to take care of their babies. And that makes it hard for us culturally, socially, and in our relationships to admit that maybe she isn't doing so so well. Mm -hmm. Because if she doesn't take care of that baby, who's going to go to work? What's going to happen? What are we going to do with the baby? And so I think that sometimes dad's partners can be in denial, but out of self-preservation and out of concern for the larger picture of things. So I don't want us to judge them harshly for not getting her help right away when they recognize it because it is hard. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. I would assume that your your birth classes, mm-hmm. the classes that you have with with pregnant women in there would include the spouse Absolutely. to try to, to yeah. help explain, yes. you know, what's going to be coming up and yes. what what he might see mm-hmm. and some of the, uh, you know, some of the issues. I, yeah. I would also think, you know, you just sort of uh, got my mind going that, that mm-hmm. you know, when you introduce a, a baby into the household, that there are financial issues that are going to come up that could make yeah. things very stressful. Yes. Mm-hmm. I remember being at a conference a long time ago, back when I was an academic, and a graduate student was making a presentation about women entering the academic world and talking about having a baby as a graduate student. And her husband said to her, oh, babies don't cost anything. And I thought, good grief, what do you ever hear that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, right. Oh, yes. Okay, we have a phone call. Let's mm-hmm. go to Laura. Laura? Yes, this is Laura. Hi. Hi. I just wanted to say how much I appreciate the comments uh, by one of your two speakers, either Georgiana or Donna, where they said that they tell their expectant mothers that during the first two weeks when they're home that their job is to feed the baby and then to nap when the baby naps and everything else should be done by partners, friends, support groups. I just couldn't agree with that more. I think that when I had my babies in the uh, 70s and 80s, there was this idea that you went home from the hospital after two or three days, therefore you were back to normal, you could do everything. And that's so far from the truth, it just never has changed. And so I just applaud them for pointing that out, and I hope that everybody hears that and takes that to heart, that just because a woman comes home to the hospital after a few days doesn't mean that she's 100% back. Uh, It takes a while to recover from that, and and she still needs her rest, absolutely. All right. They're nodding their heads. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot for the okay. call, Laura. All right. 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. Uh, you know, it gives, as, a, as a friend to someone who just had a baby not too long ago, maybe three months ago, uh, this is sort of an instructive conversation to me because, of course, my wife and I um, wanted to go see the baby fairly early on and – uh, I, how, how do you how do you sort of talk with expectant parents about about their friends about yes. all the people that want want to help yes. but maybe what they're doing is sort of counterproductive if yes. they're showing up at the house right. and they're trying to do things that maybe aren't needed. Well, that's why I think it's real helpful to make a postpartum plan prenatally, and especially for women looking at whether or not they might be at risk for postpartum depression, that's something you can look at prenatally and you can be aware of in your pregnancy. But in terms of instructions to give to your social circle, first we talk about um, how your social circle is going to change. You know, I often ask people, are you the first one in your group of friends to have a baby? Are there others who've already had babies or kind of what's going on with that? Because if you're the first, the pioneers, (laughs) so to speak, then your friends are going to be puzzled. Well, why can't you just go to the movies? Um, You mean we just can't drop by for dinner any old time, you know, because a newborn changes all of that. And so that um, just kind of opening up that conversation and getting them to think about it. And, of course, first-time parents, 
it's all new to them, and they can't imagine what it's going to be like. So it is a little bit like speaking Greek, but eventually they get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we tell mamas um, to s- stay in your pajamas. When people come by, stay in your pajamas. Have you been because as soon as you start dressing normally, everybody oh she's back to normal, you know. So get give that signal in that first couple weeks. I am in a special period right now, and when people are bringing food by, have them just drop it off. Uh Don't expect to sit down and have dinner with them, sort of thing. So really setting some boundaries with that, as is appropriate. I mean, other other people really want lots of social contact, but I tell them, well, be careful with that. And if you're breastfeeding, you want to make sure if people are coming by, you're going to be comfortable in the first couple of weeks. I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, you're kind of hanging around without your shirt on a whole lot because you're trying to get this baby to the breast in an efficient way, and it's hard to be fumbling with clothes. What if somebody suddenly shows up? Is that okay with you? You know, we try to give people permission to set those boundaries as they need to and at the same time to ask for help as they need to. And I think we as friends of people mm-hmm. who are having babies need to, you know, be aware of all those things. Like we should call ahead and yes. make our visits very short and bring food, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. you know, do something that mm-hmm. that's meaningful or stay around and do a couple of loads of laundry while you're there. You know, exactly. something. And when you're call, when you call to say, is this a good time? Say, do you need me to pick anything up for you on my way there? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> all right. Now we have a phone call. Let's go to Jenny. Jenny. Hi. Oh, hi. Go ahead. Um, two questions. One uh, is, are there any contraindications for uh, antidepressants regarding for women who are breastfeeding? And secondly, I was wondering, just to get your thoughts about how, uh, how much has kind of the, um, the lack of extended families affected or contributed to this? There's a time when if a woman had a baby, there were grandmothers and aunts and a number of other folks who could be, be around to help. And has that made it worse, or uh, the fact that we don't have that today, or is it does it is that a factor at all? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for the call. Well, um, I'll be glad to address this contraindications with breastfeeding. There is actually an excellent book that is available um, to anyone. You can, you can get it online. It's called Medications and Mother's Milk, and it's by Tom Hale. And Tom Hale's purpose in life is studying how medications go into breast milk. And it is an excellent, thorough, competent, very reliable guide. He updates it every two years. And it is clear that there are antidepressants as well as other medications that are very safe to take when breastfeeding. And as always with any medication, what you're looking at are trade-offs. And it's definitely worth whatever minimal risk there might be to the baby um, to getting that mother into a better state to be able to take care of her infant. Um, if you l- read a drug insert, you know, the little piece of paper that comes with something, that is not your best indicator of safety because that is there as a precautionary liability protection for the pharmaceutical company. And really, Tom Hale's book is kind of considered by practitioners the, the Bible of that question. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it can it can be taken for sure. Okay. I think uh, part two of that question had to do with uh, – mm-hmm different sort of social atmosphere that we're in now, the lack of extended yeah. families. And, and I guess the, the overriding question is, is postpartum depression, um, perinatal mood disorders, are they becoming more prevalent? I think our awareness of them is more prevalent. I was very interested. I was just at a conference last week and was interested to hear someone say that looking globally, postpartum mood disorders, perinatal mood disorders, they happen worldwide. Now, that's looking at many different kinds of societies, not just Western industrialized societies. It does occur everywhere. So I think it is a physical, hormonal, chemical change that happens. How we respond to it and how quickly we recognize it is going to be influenced, I think, by the support network that someone has. And so extended family, and all of us have family, so we all know that's a two-edged sword. Sometimes they're awesome. Sometimes you would rather they weren't around. So obviously it's going to depend. And I'm interested in the people that we work with, and I'm sure that Donna sees at the hospital, that you have people who are not just geographically removed from family, but culturally removed from family. So they've made lifestyle choices that their families may or may not be able to support. Now, if you had that extended family around and you're making really different lifestyle choices, well, that's not going to help. Mm-hmm. And may have, in fact, be detrimental. But, you know, again, it's like know who your support network is, know who to call on, 
Mm-hmm. Think about where you would go. So right. in, in that regard, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think the support network is very, very important. Yeah. And just having people to help you recognize that, hey, you might not be doing so well in this area. Let me do this mm-hmm. to help you. And that may be that may get somebody who may progress into a worse postpartum depression. That may be enough help for her to, to um, get better quicker without medication or therapy. But... Um, I think a social network is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Our numbers again, 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Um, that brings up a point, Donna, when you're talking about um, you know, help and how this may uh, – the social network might help prevent you know, sort of a, a further spiraling down, I guess, if I can – Use a non-medical term. Um, you know, when 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 women are feeling like they they have the baby blues, or if there's been this sort of early recognition of depression, what are the what are the what are the treatments, and what can a woman do for herself, and what can the the partner do to help the woman? We've, we've touched on some of these things, but um, maybe more from the partner standpoint so far than what the woman can actually do to help herself. I think first of all, you know, we we do teach women to, you know, eat well, eat foods that are good for you, do get some exercise, you know, minimal at first, yes, but you know, get out and do something, get up and get a shower, you know, do little things at first, but then to increase your activity over a period of time, rest, you know, eating well, rest and exercise are are right there things that she can do for herself, but if she doesn't see that she's benefiting from that, um, and it's lasting longer than that two weeks, she first of all needs to contact her obstetrician. Um, she needs to be open with her partner and let him know what's going on and how she's feeling so that he can kind of help her keep an eye on things. Are things getting better? Are things getting worse? Um, but hopefully with her first contact with her obstetrician, she can be he, he, he or she can recognize if she needs referred to a psychologist or a psychiatrist for medication or therapy. Um, other, other things she can do, there are support groups online. There um, are lots and lots of books at the Monroe County Library that our task force has been able to um, get on the shelves there. We have a support group here in town that meets um, the second Monday of every month from 10 to noon at the public library. And, you know, I think you know, even if you're not under a doctor's care but just want to talk to other women who are in the postpartum period, that's a great place to start if you're not um, at a critical point. Always, if your symptoms are very severe or um, you're thinking of harming yourself or someone else, that, that, that requires immediate attention and you go to the emergency department. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Short of harming, uh, harming oneself, how often do you see a case where um, a, a woman might want to make a, a, a drastic change in her life situation. Is that a, is that a common mm. issue? That, I mean, if, she's, if a person is really depressed, sometimes mm-hmm. they might want to say, well, this isn't working for me, so you know, I need to, we need to move away, or I need to quit my job, or I need to not go back to work, or I need to um, get a divorce or whatever. I think that's mm-hmm. a cry for help yeah. in that situation. Yeah. I, there was a recent situation in Marion County, actually, where a woman who was who she was a doctor, she was a physician, had twins, and she people around her recognized that she was suffering from postpartum depression, and she did not want to admit that um, it was not culturally acceptable for her. She was um, from an Asian culture, and she didn't want to accept that, and she. Um, she had twins, and she said, well, maybe I'll just give one of them up for adoption. Then then I'll be able to handle this. I can handle that. You know, and that kind of goes along with what you're saying. Yeah. I, I can't handle this, but maybe I can handle something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just a big red flag yeah. when they want to just totally drastically change because they're not being able to cope with what is going on today. I think more common, though, is the feeling that women have with this where they think, well, if I just weren't around, maybe everybody would be happier. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of more like because the big drastic change has happened. She's had this baby. And so there's this internalizing of, well, maybe I'm the problem. And I think when you were talking about kind of what can a woman do, the really just admitting that she's having these feelings to anyone would be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Saying it out loud to someone 
can really, really help. And I think sometimes it feels too big to tell, you know, go tell your doctor. And sometimes it feels too big to, to say it maybe to your partner. But if you can say it to someone, then that's, real, that's a huge first step. Mm-hmm. And, and then getting informed, too, like Donna was saying mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah. now, I want to go back to something you said, Georgianne, earlier about the effect on the rest of the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked a lot about the, about the partner or spouse. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times there are going to be other children in yes. the house and uh, even mm-hmm. – this I don't know if I should even bring this up, but even pets, animals, right, of course, you know, yeah. that that have made up a household, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden things are different. I mean, how can you address that issue? Sure, and I think um, it's important to realize that um, a depressed mother usually has a depressed baby, and that babies, newborns with depressed mothers who show no affect, don't let emotion go across their face when they're interacting with their newborn. That's what that baby imprints on, is no affect. Um, and we see, we definitely see changes in babies when mothers have these mood disorders, especially the ones that show depression. Um, it, it can kind of cascade into attachment disorders for the children, for them, especially for the baby in that sort of sensitive and critical period of bonding. Um, it, it, it radiates out um, to the rest of the family. Uh, children can, older children can be asked to assume responsibilities that maybe are not appropriate for their age. Um, it, it really does – that can affect their school performance. That can have all kinds of impacts around. And women are often, I think, are I – mean, you do love your children even when you're struggling. So I think being motivated to, do, to take care of yourself for the children – and it's kind of like that thing on the airplane when they say, you know, you put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then you put it on your child. Mm-hmm. And that's really the metaphor that you should think about in terms of this. Mama needs to take care of herself so that she can take care of her children. And that's hard for us because we have a sacrifice model going. Yeah. And not addressing this problem definitely, definitely affects the children at home. Mm-hmm. A personal story that we heard from a mom that had suffered from postpartum depression she was actually Mrs. USA a couple of years ago, and that was what she wanted to get out to the public, mm-hmm. um, was that her baby practically took care of himself. She said she was not really there for him, even up until his first birthday. And she said around, she remembers him walking at eight months and doing different things for himself that an eight-month-old doesn't do. And she said that um, she would crawl to the kitchen and put food on the floor so that he would have, he would find food for the day. So she wasn't caring for him at all throughout the day. And, you know, that that's heartbreaking when you think that women are suffering that much and trying to hide it from the public, from their friends and their yeah. family. Yeah, which is another point about having that support network because part of the resiliency of children is if there are other adult caretakers around. And that can be a saving grace for a child with a depressed mother or with a mother who's struggling to have another adult who can say, oh, wow, look at you. Look at what, look at who you are and give that direct one-on-one attention. That can make such a difference. Mm-hmm. All right. We have about 10 minutes to go in the program. So if you have questions, uh, now's the time, 855-0811, and noon at indiana.edu. I want to ask about the um, – when you, you were talking about it, a depressed mom has a depressed baby. Mm-hmm. Um, from a, a, the standpoint of a newborn, I mean, what kinds of long-term implications can that have or, or mm-hmm. can it? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, definitely it can. And what you see is what the sort of the question of the attachment disorder. It's a, a thing of when a baby is well, and let me just say, I'm, I'm certainly not a mental health professional. So I, I'm, I know that there is a much more to this picture than I, than I can give briefly here um, or even understand. But that um, when a baby is born from the get-go, they are adapted to the mother's body. And so she really is the place that they learn everything. Babies are not adapted to being at the table or in a bed or whatever. They're adapted to mom's body. And she's really essential for their neurological and motor development, their language development. Those interactions, all of it is about that baby's growth and development. And it also is teaching them how to love. So that is a very, there's very powerful imprinting that goes on initially. That's very unconscious. That's what's happening. And we all do the best we can. And that's why it, I mentioned about children being resilient, you know, because there are mitigating factors that can 
you know, soften the impact of those things. But in terms of developmental disabilities or not, not disabilities, delays, that's the word I want, more in terms of developmental delays mm-hmm. and how that can then in turn set up a child for other problems later. Do you have more to add to that, Donna? Yeah, only like you said, it doesn't mean that every child is going to have right. um, mm-hmm. permanent damage right. of any kind, especially if they have um, mm-hmm. other people around in their lives. And it also depends on the degree of yes. of the severity of mom's illness because mm-hmm. she may be quite depressed and needing some therapy, whether it be just talk therapy, mm-hmm. support group therapy, or even medications, and still be doing a fairly decent job, mm-hmm. you know, bonding with her baby and... Um, you know, keeping things okay. So I don't want to scare people and yeah. say, oh, right. gosh, my, yeah. my child's going to have these things because that's not, not necessarily the case. Yeah, we don't want to give mom something else to worry about. Exactly, right. <laughs> exactly. Well, and getting the help that she needs can turn all of this around. Mm-hmm. I mean, children are right. amazing right. in how quickly they can, you know, overcome these things. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right, we have a phone call. Mandy's on the line. Mandy? Hi. Hi. Um, I just wanted to make a comment. Earlier you were speaking about social circles and how friends can help. And one, I just had a baby four months ago, and one thing that really helped me was I had one friend contact everybody else and over email and organize meals to be brought in for me. And then we didn't have to ask for help. It wasn't me saying, I need help. I, I, need, I need some people to feed us. It was somebody else doing it for us. And then we had meals brought in you know, every other day for a couple of weeks. And that was just, it was just really great. And I thought that was a good suggestion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great suggestion. Sounds like a great idea. How, how are things now? Good. Everything's <laughs> great. I had a little bit of postpartum depression with the first baby, but, you know, I, I got help. And um, Bloomington Area Birth Services really, um, you know, helped me, out, helped me out. And things are great with the second baby. So Great. Well, congratulations. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Thanks a lot Mandy. for the call. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 855 811 and noon at indiana.edu. Always like to hear a success story. Yes, me too. <laughs> always good. All right, now, um, in the last few minutes, I, we we were going to start this program. George Ann, you said you were thinking about starting this program with an idea about myths and realities. Um, so let's just go back to where we thought about starting. Uh, again, we've talked a lot about mm-hmm. about a lot of this. But sort of summarize, you know, what are the myths about postpartum depression and about baby blues and and, uh, what are the realities? Well, I guess um, when Donna and I were mulling that over, we felt like the myths are really that it's rare, Mm -hmm. that it's a spectacular event in some way, um, that mom has control over what's happening and that it's, quote, just a depression. And really, it's more common than one would think, as Donna cited those statistics earlier, um, and that the spectacular events like the Andrea Yates case and so on are, are in fact, very rare. And in fact, I would sort of footnote that by saying it's easy to think that there's this continuum from baby blues to postpartum psychosis, which is kind of misleading because postpartum psychosis is actually a very separate disorder from um, from postpartum, the other postpartum mood disorders, and it usually has a very rapid onset um, in the f- within the first couple of weeks. More likely to have if that's going to happen, and that there's usually a prior history of some kind of severe mental illness, bipolar disorder, or some other, you know, really quite marked thing. Not necessarily in the woman herself, but maybe in her family somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like a mom just gets really depressed and then she could go off the deep end. Instead, that's like a totally separate issue and thing that can happen. Um, Mandy uh, sort mm-hmm. of um, prompted a question from me because sure. she, she, she said that with her first baby, she had a little bit of postpartum depression, mm-hmm. but with the second baby, she hasn't had. Um, is there any predictor? If, if you have mm-hmm. postpartum depression with your first child, is it mm-hmm. likely you'll have it with the next child? And if you've had three babies and no mm-hmm. problems, is there reason to believe you, you are in the clear for that fourth one? Not necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> that fourth one, you have three other babies to take care of. <laughs> so you're a lot more fatigued. Mm-hmm. So there, there are, those predictors aren't really reliable. You can't really tell for sure. But it sounds like Mandy did all the right things, knowing that she might be a little predisposed to that. She organized her support group or her friends saw the need to organize her support group around her, which is just great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that's what I think we see. If someone is aware, and that's why prenatally, being aware of what your risk factors are. And if you have a history of, of any sort of um, depression or anxiety disorders, then you really can, you know, um, 
what do I want to say, um, arm yourself to handle things much, much better and, mm-hmm. uh, and to be better prepared. I, I don't think we can get away without um, saying something about um, the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale, which is um, a self-assessment tool. It can be found online. Uh, postpartum.net has a lot of these resources that people can kind of find their way to what they need. And um, many caregivers in town, both um, medical and mental health, have access to this Edinburgh postnatal depression scale. And it's a fairly accurate um, predictor at four weeks to six weeks postpartum to take this to kind of see how things are going. And it also pretty well indicates where you might be at a few months later. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a really useful tool for mm-hmm. people to to be aware of. And we haven't mentioned uh, also how people find you, find your organization, mm-hmm. Bloomington Area Birth Services. Mm-hmm. How, how is that done? What's your phone number? Well, our phone number is actually the same number for the Postpartum Depression Task Force. Um, so it's 337-8121. We're also on the web at uh, www.bloomingtonbirth.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bloomington Hospital also has some really good resources online as well, as do we. And then you can always call and leave a message for us. We do have a separate mailbox for the task force. Um, my answering machine won't let me have a special message there. But if you press, um, I think it's star two, then you can leave a message for the task force. And it's 337 8121. Okay. And in the last uh, 30 seconds or so that we have, uh, again, would you mention the conference that's coming up? And, oh, certainly. And, yeah. uh, do you want to? We have a a postpartum depression conference in August, August 25th and 26th, with Dr. Rosenberg from, where's she? Chicago? No, he's from uh, Case Western Reserve, I Mm -hmm. think. (laughs) Whoops. A well-known psychiatrist (laughs) and OBGYN to talk on this subject. We have lots of good speakers. It's mostly um, for the the professional public. Um, There might be some other things for the the public. Yes, we're actually bringing Sandy Poulin in as well, who's just written the Mother to Mother Postpartum Support Book. And uh, she will be speaking at the public library on the Thursday night beforehand. Mm-hmm. So that will be available to the to the community at large, just oh, a free okay. event. So, All right. And we are out of time. I okay. want to thank you both for being here. Georgianne Catalona, Catalona and Donna Cutshaw were my guests today. For uh, the absent Mary Catherine Carmichael, mm-hmm. producer Catherine Hegeman, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.